Welcome to the Habit Mechanic Podcast. To help you finish this year strongly and get ready for a successful 2024, we're re-releasing every podcast we've recorded so far that takes a deep dive into the Habit Mechanic book. The episode's coming up in a few moments. Remember, if you want to get your business off to a great start in January, get in touch to discuss how our Habit Mechanic keynotes or workshops can equip your people with practical skills that help them build super habits in five minutes. Or if you want to earn £100,000 per year working part-time by launching your own coaching business, we guarantee to help you do that in just 13 hours. Get in touch with us today to learn more about becoming a certified habit mechanic coach who can transform people's lives and is recognized as a world leader in the field. For more details, contact us via the website. The link is in the podcast notes. Or if you want to feel better and do better every day, download the Habit Mechanic University app from your app store. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Habit Mechanics. I hope that you're well. We are going to talk about sleep, diet and exercise. I'm joined today as ever by my friend and colleague, Andrew Whitelam. Andrew, how are you doing? Yeah, hi. Hi there, John. Uh, Very well, thanks. Uh, Good to see you again. And um, yeah, sleep, diet and exercise is the subject of chapter 19 of the Habit Mechanic book. Um, So we're focusing our attention around that, as you say, um, initially. And um, yeah, it's a chapter I know catches so many people's attention um it is like many other chapters and and so much more of the content in the habit mechanic book uh very practical and applicable and and really accessible so um i know i know people will benefit massively just from listening to this podcast and getting themselves a copy of the book as well uh will, will be hugely beneficial so um yeah i think it's important just to uh just to get through this uh as thoroughly as we can because it's so beneficial and of course of course we're, we're also rooting this conversation in our stress awareness month because um of the interdependency the interrelation between diet exercise and sleep and, and optimizing it and reducing stress uh which i know you're going to explain to us um uh, very shortly so that so that's exciting too um so this is very much um staying within that framework as well um you start chapter 19 um with a, with a story which we'll talk about a, a bit later on about a, a very well-known sporting champion but you you also explain that that optimizing your diet your exercise and sleep has so many benefits things like improving your productivity your confidence um your leadership even but then significantly you also say that it will help you spend less time thinking on helpful thoughts and help you with your stress management. So John, um, give us an outline of why. Why is it so profound, the, the diet, exercise and sleep for us as, as humans? Yeah, because fundamentally it gets our brain working well. So we can link all three back to improving brain function. And if your brain's working well, your limbic systems will be less agitated. So you'll spend less time dwelling, beating yourself up. You'll have more willful control over your behavior that you can use to build and help uh, and build more super habits more helpful habits destroy more destructive habits so it's the foundation on the timeline of the chapters in the book it's right at the base of 
step three, where we start to show people how they can actually build new helpful habits. And it's at the base for a reason, because if we don't get these three things right, everything else is more difficult. So people often, they want to know, how do I, how do I do an extra hour of focused high impact work today? That's what I want to focus on. And if we're not sleeping properly or eating properly or exercising properly, our chances of doing that are severely limited. So we've got to get these things right. They are the basics. But like many things for human beings, we think because we know what they are, we've got it covered and we're all good. And I don't need to waste any time paying attention to my sleep, my diet or my exercise. The challenge is, is the conditions of the world we live in have changed very quickly. If we just think of, well, let's, let's just start with my own lifespan. I remember the TV going off at a certain time. I remember there being only, um, I, I mean, in the evening where there was nothing on air anymore. There were only four channels. Um, and I, I don't even know how, how old Channel 4 is, but maybe having three channels when I was first born. Then we now live in a world in that, in that space where we can just stream things 24-7 not just um tv we've got social media we've got the phone you know this idea from when i was growing up you had to physically go in downstairs into the kitchen to pick the phone up to phone someone up and i wouldn't be phoning someone at two o'clock in the morning where i then have people now sending messages at that time in the morning so the world around us is changing and if we if we fast forward to just the last few years where most people before the pandemic would have left the house every day to go somewhere physically to go to work. That's changed now. So many people are not even leaving the house anymore in a day. That's massively negatively impacting exercise levels. There is such a wide range of factory made food food available now food products that have been deliberately designed to make them highly appealing to the limbic regions of our brain to our human r8 brain and i think there was some data a few months ago showing that 50 percent of the of the food we consume in the uk is known to be bad for us it's ultra processed food so wherever we look in terms of our sleep, our diet, our exercise, they're getting more hard to do. I know that my generation sleep at least one hour less per night than my grandparents' generation. So oh, yeah, than our grandparents' generation. That's like a that's like a one hour one night sleep less per week. It's like one week's um well, one working week, sleep less per month. You know, these are big changes and they are damaging brain function. Yeah, um, you say that in, in chapter 19 as well. Um, and I think it's clear from what you've said, these are foundational things we need to get right, our, our diet, exercise and sleep. Um, and we're going to talk about how and what we can do in each of those areas in due course but um recently i think it's really interesting i i saw um a youtube video from um dr chris van tulliken who i think some people in the uk might recognize he has a twin brother they're both media commentators reporters presenters all of the above on on, on lifestyle issues well-being issues health issues um 
Chris Van Tullican is a medical doctor, practicing medical doctor, is also an associate professor at University College London. And um, he's published a book um, called Ultra Processed People. And you just mentioned ultra processed food then. I think he uses the abbreviation UPF, uh, which is not anything to do with sunscreen. It sounds a bit like it, but it's um, ultra processed food. And he, he's in this YouTube video, which I think was recorded at the, the Royal Institution, the, the um, organization in Britain that tries to make science accessible to people and 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 share important insights from science um he was speaking there about ultra processed food i think to promote his book as well of course but uh, warning of the dangers of it um and uh, he talked about it being a, a cause of cancer a cause of metabolic disease uh, and most significantly john for our for our podcast he talked about it being a cause of mental illness um, and in, in the book, you, you write um, in, in chapter 19 of The Habit Mechanic, you, you talk about this, too, uh, and how it can be injurious for us um, about diet and sleep and exercise as well. So um, how, how do how does it damage our brains? What, what does bad food and, and by extension, sleep and, and exercise do to our brains? If you want to fulfill your potential or help other people fulfill their potential so you can feel great and get the rewards and respect you deserve, then I want to give you a free physical copy of my new best-selling book because you deserve to know the truth. The most important things for fulfilling your potential are not tips, tricks, hacks, therapy, coaching, meditation, breathwork, goal setting, journaling, or finding your why. I know it sounds irrational because we're so used to hearing about using these things to help us fulfill our potential. But these approaches are outdated and ineffective and they are based on a big lie. To find out more and get your free physical copy of Dr. John Finn's best-selling book, The Habit Mechanic, go to tougherminds.co.uk. Yeah, I think it's quite, it's been quite hard to measure. So let's say that you eat a Mars bar and um, it's quite hard to then track that in your body and see how it impacts brain function but we get we, we've got a general sense of, of what's going on one is some of this ultra processed food is unrecognizable to our body our body doesn't know what it is so it, it can't even pass the blood brain barrier so we think we're and you know we don't typically think when we're eating about is this good for our brain or not we're thinking about is this going to make me fatter is this going to make me slimmer? Is this going to give me the right energy levels? But actually, we should be thinking, how is this going to impact my brain function? And in chapter 19, we go through the different sources of things our brain needs in order to function really well. But some of the things we're putting into our body can't get past the blood-brain barrier, so it can't contribute nutritionally to the brain, which is problematic. Our brain burns a disproportionate amount of energy for its size in our body. I think it burns something like 40% of our carbohydrates. 
the start is in chapter 19 somewhere, if I've got that wrong. But um, it's di disproportionately a, um, a lot. So, so that's one thing. What we can see then in the brain when, we're, when we've got people that are consuming high intakes of um, ultra-processed food, including junk food, is that it does uh, people's brains do start to get damaged. And this is a study I talk about in Chapter 19 where I think it was a group of middle-aged men who were put on a junk food diet for a week. And just within that week, what they noticed in the brain was that their hippocampi started to shrink they got smaller this is problematic because the hippocampi are the only sites in the human brain that we understand producing new brain cells um, if you've got a dog dog produce dogs have hippocampi in their noses so hippocampi is central for learning and one of the things they do is is they they release the seeds of new brain cells into the brain, and you know what what is mental health? What is a mental health challenge? Well, fundamentally, it's about not being able to get your attention onto what is helpful for you, not being able to think thoughts that help you to feel good about yourself. So if we're in a rut of thinking lots of unhelpful things and doing lots of lots of unhelpful things, what we actually need is to develop some new wires in our brain so we can tell ourselves a different story about what's going on and we can develop some different habits and some different routines. But if we don't have the seeds for the new brain cells, that's not going to happen. So we can see that junk, uh, ultra-processed food, junk food is damaging the hippocampi, hippocampus. Um, and it's stopping us from being able to, yeah, we can know what we need to do to get better, but it's stopping us from, from being able to practice and habitualize those new ways of thinking and doing. So this is very real. Um, and, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. And in that period of time, the the volume of pro of ultra processed food people are consuming has massively increased so it was a problem we originally spoke about it now it's maybe 10 times worse than it was and it seems to be getting worse and worse yeah um and um i know your analysis of why why we are compelled to, to have and consume these bad foods and hence the situation is worsening um it is also in the habit mechanic book as well and and coincidentally um some of the things um dr chris van tullican says as well um touches on on the, the much deeper analysis you give so um let's hope that more and more people through different channels are just becoming aware of the dangers of this um so as i say we'll, we'll also, in, in Chapter 19 of The Habit Mechanic, you cite a really useful example of a, a well-known sporting champion who, who has a, a way of making changes uh, and changing behaviour or, and, and, or certainly the foundational step to take, which we'll talk about in due course. So keep listening out for that. But um, let's get into then 
how we can how we, what we should be doing what what sort of things we should be eating how how to get better sleep how to improve our exercise levels um in in as i say chapter 19 there's a, there's a heading four ways to improve your diet for brain function uh you you list them as eat the right energy remember fatty acids stop buying junk food um and get plenty of antioxidants perhaps we can we can take each one of those starting with eat the right energy yeah so our brain needs carbs that's the main source of energy it uses now some people will have heard about diet saying don't eat carbs cut carbs out of your diet etc that's dangerous because carbohydrates in us are the glucose is is the fuel that runs the brain but the types of you can get different types of carbohydrates on a continuum some are simple all the way through to complex so complex are things like um brown red pasta rice but also I can refer to my list here actually because there's also some left field ones that you don't normally think about as being carbohydrates but um sweet potatoes lentils peas that kind of thing uh, green vegetables so the the key or one of the the one of the the four areas of, of things we need to get right is to make sure that we're getting our complex carbs into our diet so that we've got that steady flow of energy into our brain people experience when they eat um simple carbs let's say they might have some pasta for lunch that they can then feel like their energy levels crash after uh, half an hour or an hour or so and that's created because those carbs burn very quickly um so we've got to be consuming complex carbohydrates that's what we mean by eat the right energy yeah and i just worth saying i think as you say as you referred to john there was a a few years ago, a, a bit of an outpouring of, of no carb diets. I think it was one called the Atkins diet, which had just involved eating large quantities of red meat. And yeah, it's um, it, it, it's maybe um, unpalatable, no pun intended, for some people uh, that they have to eat carbs. But as you say, as you pointed out, these these unrefined grains, the complex carbohydrates. Again, uh, you can find more details in the Habit Mechanic book, chapter nineteen. Um, that that's what we mean when we say carbohydrates and um yeah i must admit i i, I think you, you told me that many years ago about the need for glucose and um for the brain and it, it was really really sobering for me because uh, you just well yeah you didn't know the information but you just didn't associate that with the brain because we're kind of conditioned to expect it to be related to i don't know endurance exercise and and physical physical performance that kind of thing but but carbohydrates in the brain fantastic fantastic bit of insight there eating the right energy as you put it uh, the next point then remember fatty acids uh talk to us about that please john yeah and i've just found my stats so although your brain only makes up around three percent of your overall body weight it uses about 20 percent of your ox oxygen and around 25 percent of your glucose wow 
it's consuming a disproportionate amount of, of energy um, and oxygen. So fatty acids, yeah. So the again, there has been a diet movement, maybe less so now, but used to be, and you'll still see food say low in fat. Um, fat is essential for us. So our brain, again, we don't think of these things, but our brain isn't made of fairy dust and it isn't made of Mars bars or cake. It's made of fatty acids. So our brain is changing all the time. Some parts of it are dying, being pruned away, and other parts are growing. So we need building blocks, we need building materials. And the core building materials for the brain are fatty acids. There are two core types of fatty acids. One is omega-6, which you get from things like eggs. The other is omega-3. Um, and typically in our Western diets, we lack the omega-3 fatty acids. We don't have enough of them. So we've got to be mindful to get those into the system. And people are familiar with omega-3 fatty acids in relation to um, they're in oil, oily fish. Um, they're in cold water fish like salmon, tuna, kiwi fruits, spinach, walnuts, etc. So I'm certainly very mindful that well, my, my breakfast is a combination, well, it's a combination of the, another one of, the, of these as well, but at least three days a week I have salmon in a in a I'm trying to think of the, how it would be described. Oh yeah, a whole wheat pita. So I get the complex carbs and the omega-3 fatty acids and I also squeeze some lemon juice on there which brings in another one of the areas we're going to talk about so again it's one thing knowing this stuff it's another thing actually getting it into your diet and habitualizing that yeah and uh, again I, I keep saying it but we're going to come on to that but I just do think it's so so fascinating to drill down into to the right things to do um so Point three, then stop buying junk food. A bit of an obvious one, but and you've touched on it. Um, you know, perhaps we can just move on from that. Um, studies we've referred to, and in the book, you refer to a BBC broadcaster who did a, a bit of a documentary on himself about the consumption of junk food and the actual damage it did uh, to his brain. So, um, we, we, as I say, we have spoken about that just just now on the podcast and you know so we can leave that perhaps let's unless you, there's anything you want to add but let's move on to uh the, the final is, point of, of the four no sorry john yeah there is something i'll add so we are constantly triggered to buy junk food i talk about i think we've discussed it in one of these podcasts the mcdonald's app i think we discussed it in the last chapter chapter 18 podcast we, we did about that when you go to the supermarket, you'll see the ends of the aisles stacked with offers. And often they're junk food. Supermarkets know what we eat and they know what they make the biggest margins on. And it's often the junk food. And I had a really... When you go to the same supermarket every week, you don't necessarily notice so much the things that change um, because the changes are quite subtle. And over the last few, well, not 
the last few years, but a lot before the pandemic, I worked in America quite a lot. And um, I was working for one client in Denver and there was a big supermarket called Whole Foods, which is a bit like Waitrose in the UK. It's actually owned by Amazon. And I went into the supermarket and I noticed that all... So I'd been there a few times before. So this was maybe the third or fourth time I'd been uh, my you know trip there. So this time I went and I noticed by the by the the tills, the cash points, they were they had all cakes, muffins and cupcakes and brownies. I was just got my attention thinking that's new. And I subsequently read, I think, the day afterwards in the New York Times or something, that Whole Foods had doubled the amount of money they were making on those products just by simply putting them by the tills. So we are being manipulated all the time to buy this stuff. You know, when you go to the the cafe, um, I can think cafe near I go to Brett, what do you see in the counter? It's the cakes, it's the muffins. They're there deliberately because they're they're trying to catch you when your willpower is a little bit low. And you just give in and say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll have one of those. Thanks. Um, so we just got to be really conscious of that. And if you're in the habit of having your double chocolate chip muffin, then, you know, create you can create a death swap to help you to work on that habit and replace it with something else. So I, I have a sweet tooth and I do like chocolate. So now I just. Uh, I eat a lot of 90 percent dark chocolate. And I'll just literally have a square of that lint to do a nice one. And uh, one square of that is 50 calories. And there's maybe a tiny bit of sugar in it. And I find that as satisfying as I would having, you know, a bigger chocolate bar or something. So it's it's often about, it's hard, it's harder, it's easier to replace something than to stop something. So you've got to think of that. What do, how do I replace this? And then eventually, once you've sort of weaned yourself off the sugar, you can. It's easier to to, to stop and do something else. But yeah, so that's a little stop buying junk food story, an exclusive for the Habit Mechanic podcast. Yeah, great stuff. And uh, Lint, if you're listening, um, you know where to send the the ninety percent chocolate. But <laughs> no, it's it is interesting, John, that to to for you to share your personal experience. Um, yeah. So, well, well, thank you for that. Let, let's go then on to the, the final fourth fourth point um, about antioxidants um, and the, the um, ability to um, tackle the problem of free radicals. Yeah. So, what where in the bigger theme of stress this month, stress awareness month, you can, I think it's quite helpful to think about stress as a, as a physical impact on your brain, like you get a whack on the head or something. It's doing that, it's working the brain harder, the brain's whirling round. That whirling round and overuse causes, causes inflammation, like when you get a physical injury. Um, the chemicals that get released in the stress response, cortisol, etc., they stack up. They, again, cause inflammation and damage. 
that goes back to what we were speaking about with the hippocampi becoming shrunk and damaged. So we need to put into our body uh, nutrition that we know is good at countering um, the damage that we get in our bodies and we get this uh, we get these free radicals being being produced essentially and we know they can damage brain function so it's important that we get the antioxidants into our body which you can get from things like oranges citrus fruits i talked about squeezing a lemon on some ice salmon in the morning but also red peppers almonds spinach sweet potatoes broccoli also the editor took must have taken this out of my book um because maybe they didn't know what it was but like no it's just nice it's not in the book which is a uh, lipoic acids the lipoic acids are what you you get from offaly meat so they're a good source of antioxidants offaly meat coming back into fashion but um but yeah so get plenty of antioxidants yeah, and I think uh, spinach and sweet potatoes appear in uh, the complex carbs heading as well. So it sounds like they're two superfoods for your brain. Um, if uh, if we um, ju just judge by that, what we've just had a run through. So, yeah, fantastic. That, that's really great. Um, and it's just great to hear what we can eat to, to improve um, our brain function and, of course, support us in building helpful new habits or super habits as you would call them and and yeah if you want to read more you can in chapter 19 of course of the habit mechanic um let's move on to exercise then john obviously diet exercise and sleep you you talked about a des swap diet exercise and sleep or des as you refer to it in the habit mechanic um why is exercise important for our brain function and our ability to build super habits and combat stress yeah Fundamentally, because we're designed to move around, we're designed to walk about um, 12 miles a day. We are hunter-gatherers. So when we move, it activates our brain in a helpful, positive way. So we're designed to move around and solve problems or learn, learning, in other words. So when we move around, we get a protein in our brain release called BDNF. Um, so it helps our brain to function well. Typically, we overeat now. We consume too many calories. So exercising is important as well to burn off those calories, to burn off the excess of energy that otherwise resides in our body and causes uh, health issues. Exercise also is helpful for getting a good night's sleep. So if we don't exercise, sleep will be harder. But again, we've seen a huge increase in sedentary behaviour. And not just since the pandemic, actually a long time before the pandemic. You know, one of our colleagues, Professor Jim McKenna, this is one of his areas of expertise, helping um, organisations, government to get people more active using behavioural science. But the part of the fallout from the pandemic i think is people are just moving around less because they are um they don't need to they don't need to leave the house and i hear some people making a virtue of that 
because I, they don't understand actually how important physical activity is. So, yeah, exercise, first and foremost, think about walking. Your design, your body is designed to walk about 12 miles a day. It doesn't mean you need to walk 12 miles a day. It just means recognize what you're actually designed to do. I actually try to walk about 10 miles, run and walk about 12, uh, 10 miles a day in the working week. So I'm aiming for a 60 mile average per week. Last week I got um, 64 miles, so I had a good week. The I'm running probably between 15 to 20 miles a week, and the rest is walking. So I'm very deliberately walking, get myself out, get out in the morning for a run, get out mid-morning for another walk, um, try to get out after lunch for a, another walk, and then I do a longer walk in the evening. So, and, and I notice the huge difference when I don't do that. I don't sleep as well. I feel more stressed. I don't think as clearly. I get loads of great insights about things I'm working on whilst I'm walking and running. So it's so, so key, but we're doing less of it. And it's not just about walking. We've got to make sure that we're working our muscles out as well. Again, I'm not necessarily going to the gym, but you know, mowing the lawn, doing some gardening, just doing some sit-ups and some press-ups and building the routine around that. That's something I've done over the years as well. So I try to do, I've hurt my shoulder last few weeks, so I haven't been doing this, but I try, uh, well, I do about uh, as a minimal 50, 50 uh, push-ups, 50 sit-ups per day. And when I'm on it, I'm aiming to do a thousand repetitions per week. So just setting yourself these little challenges, these little goals. Um, just start with one, one press up, one sit up. It's so so key. So yeah, it's um, it's real. We need to do it, and it's ultimately about habits. Yeah, I, I, again, this, this, please stay with us. It's coming. Uh, we're going to talk about how you can start to change your behaviour in terms of your diet and exercise and sleep. And, of course, you can see all of this in the Habit Mechanic book, uh, Chapter 19 and beyond. But um, in, in Chapter 19, it's something you do so fascinatingly. It's just, a, a, again, a, a detail almost, um, just a microcosm of things. And But I just like to do it. I, I'm going to read them out so you don't have to, John, because I know you do most of the, the talking on these sessions. But um, you, you talk about how different types of activity and exercise help the brain in different ways. And I think it's helpful for people to know that because it, it, it gives them a, a gateway uh, to, um, to, to start changing the behavior. And, and of course, as you say, knowledge and skills is a component of behavior change. Um, so in, in the Habit Mechanic book, you say lifting weights and strength training is connected to complex thinking, reasoning and problem solving. Aerobic exercise uh, is thought to boost the memory. Um, HIT training or high intensity interval training, as, as people call it, helps us regulate cravings and addictions and, and appetite, which we've just uh, been discussing. Uh, yoga 
um, which is something a lot of people do, connected, connected to strengthening brain circuits and, and emotional regulation. And, and exercising outdoors in the daytime, which, of course, you've just talked about and, and cited your personal example, which has been very helpful. Improve our mood um, because light helps brain chemistry. Um, so you, you list those points there, which are really, really useful. And I think it's worth pointing out. Perhaps you could just do that for us. All that is is supported by scientific insight and research. Yeah, so it's since we're able to actually look at brains in real time, we, it's easier to measure the impact of these types of things. Um, but we just know fundamentally that moving around is good for us. It is good for us. That, that's another thing, actually, I would say definitely I see. So high-intensity interval training regulates helps regulate cravings, addictions, appetite. I definitely notice if I go for a run, I'm not as hungry, I don't feel like, which sounds counterintuitive, right? But I don't need to eat as much um, because we are fundamentally designed to work in that way. And our world's changed a lot. Um, we are designed to be moving around. We've only been Societally, societally farming for about twelve thousand years, which is a long period of time, right? But not in the not in the span of how long we've been around as a species. We've been around for over three hundred thousand years. So that's just a little slice of that. So we're designed to be moving around. And if you went to London, for example, a hundred years ago, people on average were walking about ten miles a day, and not everybody, because you had to walk to get around. Now, we don't have to. Um, and because of technology, we don't even have to leave the house. We can just get everything delivered to us. So, yeah, this is just so, so, so essential. But you don't need to know the science necessarily. You just need to put it into practice. And it will make you feel better. It will help you to feel better um, and get that brain working well. In, in in the book in chapter nineteen, you talk about improving exercise um, levels, etc., and um, various other issues around that. Uh, we'll move on to sleep shortly, but there's just one thing you say in the area of exercise, which I think is really fascinating and important. You talk about the rise of the use of of exercise trackers and and smart watches and um, all these devices which tell you how far you've done and run etc which are useful but you warn people to be fair of what to be aware of what you call a licensing effect you know i've done a and i'll, I'll paraphrase not 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 something you say in the book but something I, I kind of thought of oh i've done a massive gym session i'm gonna have a protein shake and 10 chicken breasts now because i've earned it <laughs> yeah yeah so people so if we go back to the base idea of intelligent self-watching, that is the key to making change. And the trackers give us a way to intelligently self-watch calorie out output. But they don't give us a way to intelligently self-watch calorie input. So what the licensing effect is saying is that people are underestimating 
the calorie content of some of the foods that they're consuming um or they're giving themselves permission to consume because they're you know they, they think they've burned loads of energy so people are maybe um walking into work a few miles and that that means they've burned 300 calories but then to treat themselves when they get there they're having a double chocolate chip muffin which is like 700 calories and twice the sugar intake that you're allowed for the day so we've got we've got to be careful and monitor that and that's one thing that i found really powerful actually i've got i've been using a new app in the last few months which i found really good it's called uh NutriCheck. It's just where you add your um, calories in and just makes you aware, you educate yourself first of all about um, the calorific content of different foods that you're eating, the different and, and, the, and the composition of those foods. One of the things I've noticed is just how much I'm always over on salt intake, for example, and I don't add salt to anything and I eat pretty healthily. Um, that surprised me, you know, and it's always like fifty percent over, even when I'm trying. So that I exercise a lot as well, so I maybe count some of that stuff because I sweat a lot. But but yeah, I always find those things really educational. But if we're gonna intelligently self watch calorific output, then we need to intelligently self watch calorific input, um, and that's going to help us when we step on maybe the ultimate intelligent self-watching machine, the Wayne scale. It's going to help us to get that needle pointing all those numbers landing where we want them to land. Yeah, well, that's a, a salutary lesson and a, and a sobering uh, sobering thought as well. So I think that's a really great uh, inclusion in, in the Habit Mechanic book. And uh, just a brief digression from me, it's a different story, perhaps for a different podcast, but a friend of mine has developed a career as personal training in personal training and some you know people ask him uh when he might do some strength work with them oh do I, do I need to up my protein now and he does know he, you know it doesn't have anything like your insight but just say nope you don't because you know people assume they need to eat more uh so yeah it's so fascinating um and um yeah read more in the habit mechanic um let's move on to sleep then finally um and and in the book you write that uh if you want to improve mental health, well-being, performance, leadership in work and life, and by extension, help reduce your stress, start by improving your sleep. Yeah, just as I open that page, I see a quote from Dr. Matthew Walker, who's the author of Why We Sleep, which is a deep dive. Matthew Walker is not an expert on how to help you to get more sleep. He's an expert on measuring the impact of sleep on brain function. So as fascinating as a reader's why we sleep is, it's not going to give it doesn't give you what's in, in our book and certainly what's in chapter 19 about how to actually improve this book. I use a quote from him in here which is he says, We are socially, organizationally, economically, physically, behaviorally, nutritionally, linguistically, cognitively and emotionally dependent on sleep in other words sleep impacts everything that we think and do every moment of our waking lives 
and also by default of our sleeping lives because if you're not sleeping well there'll be some negative Im impact on the quality of your sleep as well it becomes like a big vicious cycle so why is it important there's a few different theories and our understanding is changing all the time one of the insights is that well brain has two co uh, sleep has two core functions one is a recharge and a sort of detox type function and the other one is a learning function so one of the theories about the detox function of sleep is that the brain doesn't have a lymphatic system sort of drain away the rubbish that builds up in it so it has to shut down in order to do that detox cleansing kind of process so when we're sleeping we're getting rid of lots of the unhelpful stuff that build up in our brain and we're seeing some um well increasing increasing amounts of data showing uh correlations and increasingly causational relationships between poor sleep and prefrontal cortex diseases like dementia for example so that's real um and it's about when you don't sleep well you don't clear out that junk that builds up in your brains during the day and one of the core things we're talking about in stress awareness month is that we're getting more and more of that junk building up because we're getting more and more stressors and now uh, if we're not and if you're not if you're stressed you don't sleep well if you don't sleep well you get more stressed it becomes a big negative cycle and the so the other so that's one function of, of sleep the other function is learning again we think of learning oh if i was doing some exams then that would be great wouldn't it because i could improve how i was revising but we're learning all the time so when you sleep one of the things your brain is doing and this is this is connected to dreaming is it's make your your brain is making sense and it's processing all the information that you've paid attention to that day all the salient information and you can think of i often think about this now just as a as a metaphor like the volume of emails that i get I sometimes think imagine if someone just walked into my office at the end of the day and put all that down as physical mail it's just not it's not manageable it's impossible to manage but i think we can use the same metaphor with the volume of information we're being exposed to we're just being bombarded by information in a way that our brain is simply not designed to deal with we're designed to live in little villages in small little communities where we have a limited number of social connections and a limited number of um, information points coming our way now we live in a globally connected world where we're just being inundated with information and that information or the people who the people who are running the information channels are getting slicker and slicker at addicting us to go into those channels so one of the functions of sleep is the learning functions we're, we're we're making sense of all the stuff that's gone on 
and you make sense of some of the the stresses that, that, that have happened to you that day, some of the disconnections that you're seeing. But often what's happening is, and I think this is the biggest cause of people not sleeping well, is that by the time your head hits the pillow, you haven't, for me, the way to the way I've best seen people deal with stress is they apply. It's almost like a factory. I've never used this metaphor before, but let's see. Let's see how it goes. You can kind of see those factories where let's just say that there is a it's a potato factory, and these potatoes come out of the fields. They've been picked by the clever tractor. And they go into the factory. The first thing that happens is we wash the potato. We wash them and off the potato. And there'll be a machine that does like rumbles it all around, gets it all clean. And then there'll be another part of the factory that peels the potatoes. And then maybe another thing that slices it. But if we think of our experiences in the daytime through that potato metaphor, if we go to bed and the potatoes are still dirty and they're still caked in, in mud and soil, then our brain just does not have the capacity to process them when we're sleeping. So how do we get the soil and mud off? We need to do our focus reflection. We need to do our focus breathing. We need to use our stress management techniques. And then if we've got some of that mud and that dirt off and we've cleaned them up a little bit because we've done some deliberate uh, reflection using the tools that we unpack in uh, Destroy Your Stress in Five Minutes course and also some of those tools are in Chapter 22 of the Habit Mechanic, also in the Stress Coach and the app as well. We've done that sort of preparation work. Preparatory work. I think, yeah, I, I couldn't say work. preparatory work, yeah. Then when our head hits the pillow, our sleep brain can take over and then it can sort of essentially tell a difference that helps us to wire in a different story about our experience as we sleep. And that's what dreams are. So when we're, when we're sleeping, we're not just learning about how to do long division or how to use the new AI bot that we, that's associated with the software that we use or how to, solve a problem we're trying to solve at work we are also learning how to how to deal with what's going on in our lives we're we're also learning how to how to build better habits if you're trying to build a better habit you need sleep in order to accelerate your learning we've seen that very clearly in studies so i always remember a big study when when i was studying sports psychology um, which was about basketball free throws, which is like a penalty, um, the equivalent of a penalty in um, soccer, although there's no one trying to stop, there's no goalkeeper if you like, but it's a set piece play. Like a free shot at the at the hoop, isn't it? From I'm not a big basketball free, yeah, aficionado, but yeah. A free shot at the hoop. And um, they were just looking at, how do we speed up the learning of this skill in people? And they had different groups in different conditions. 
the condition that won that made the biggest improvement, the main effect variable was more sleep. They slept more. <laughs> and you actually see that now in some um, professional sports teams. So in there, uh, bit more in the European culture, but it has come here as well. I think like Man City have this infrastructure. You know, the players go for a nap at lunchtime. And part of that is to rehabilitate them physically, but also mentally it speeds up their learning. But yeah, anyway, I go into more detail like in, in the book, but um, sleep has two core functions, clearing out the rubbish that builds up and also learning. Yeah, and um, of course, um, you, you've highlighted how they can, can contribute to so many important things. Uh, one of which is, of course, managing our stress. Um, in the in the uh, habit mechanic, John, in the chapter, you you list eighteen ways to improve your sleep. Not going to go through all of them, of course, but just a couple, just to pick out briefly here while we're talking, um, which I think people will will be interested in. The first, and it's the first one, and, and it's quite a, it's the one that has the most text under it, I think, in terms of um, or, or certainly close to it in terms of um, the list. Uh, develop consistent sleep patterns. Um, that's important isn't it yeah we run on on habit and actually consistency is a counterintuitive thing because if you're inconsistent you're still consistent you're consistently inconsistent um and i see this got moving away from sleep going back to my sports psychology stuff I created this tool called the pre-shot training system about helping people to build better pre-shot routines. And people would say, well, I don't have a routine. And let's say that's in golf. And, so, and you say, well, you do because you walk up to the golf ball, you set up and you hit the ball, right? That's a routine. Oh, yeah, I never thought of it like that before. So we are very consistent. We just have low self-awareness. But we need to build helpful consistency. Um, so yeah, you know, it's back to the it's back to the habit idea, and you can be consistent. Your consistency might look different on different parts of the week. So my working week consistency or routines for sleep are different to the weekend. And I I found a really helpful way to think about sleep as it's not about how much you get per night. Think about how much you get per week. Because that takes the pressure off having a great night's sleep on any given night. And now, for many of us, because we work very flexibly, we can even top up with things like power naps during the day. And that's something that I, I use myself. Um, just 15, 20 minutes, get into bed like you would at night time, close your eyes, I set the alarm, I don't fall into a deep sleep. And that's the purpose of just 15, 20 minutes. But I've tried and tested lots of different things. For me, that is the optimal way. If I want to recharge, that is, I'm not going to get anything better. I'm not going to get any more recharge done in 15, 20 minutes than by closing my eyes, you know, and laying down. So, you know, if you have a bad night's sleep, you can maybe top up with a power nap. But same at the weekend, you can kind of top up a little bit Sleep, maybe sleep a little bit longer at the weekend. So a bit like I'm thinking about, uh, I said before about I'm trying to get 60 miles of exercise done per week, running and walking. Then you could think about the same thing with your sleep. How many hours of sleep do you need to get? The 
the optimal length of sleep for you will be different. And it varies, varies, you know, sometimes you feel like you need a bit more in the winter because the, there's less sunlight. Some periods of your life are more intense, so you need more sleep. Um, so, yeah, you've got to work out what's the optimal number for you and then um, just work towards that. I'd say set a weekly goal and then break that down. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, j- just pick out one more um, uh, of these uh, 18 ways to improve sleep, which you listed in Chapter 19 of the Habit Mechanic. Um, it just, just one thing that really, again, really struck with me, and it's just a, a brief insight, um, which is does not do any justice whatsoever to the, the depth and quality of, of the insights in the chapter as a whole about improving diet, exercise and sleep. But this one, you, 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 the point is take care with caffeine. And you cite that there's some data which shows there's a time for stopping your caffeine intake, which is a lot longer than I think some people will think it is. Yeah. Um, I personally, I am only drinking three caffeinated drinks per day and I'm stopping drinking caffeine by 4pm in the afternoon and I'm typically in bed then 9.30ish do I assign a length to that? Sorry Andrew, are you saying? Uh, Yes, I think in the the book we, we, we cite six hours yeah, it stays in your system. Which, you know, I, I know when, when you share that, that, as I say, it's just a brief insight. It doesn't do any kind of justice to the the, the depth of, of uh, insight that in the whole chapter about diet, exercise and sleep. But just that alone, six hours, uh, you know, people might think, oh, just a couple of hours or, you know, if I'm out for a bit of an early evening meal or something, I'll have a coffee afterwards. But six hours, goodness me. Yeah, people say... Um... People sometimes say, well, I only have decaf, you know, after seven o'clock or whatever. But there's still caffeine in decaffeinated uh, drinks, just less caffeine. So, yeah, it's, you know, people don't understand these things. And getting a good night's sleep is, is a complex web. For me, at the heart of that web is stress. But that's why I list down these 18 ideas in the book. And I've tried and tested all these ideas. Um, I mentioned having mechanic stress management, confidence building tools, which which we unpack in chapters 21, 22, 23. Um, but yeah, just got to try and test things out. And I've certainly benefited. I have better quality sleep now than I have have done at any other time in my life. And I really prioritize my sleep. Um, and it has a huge Im- positive impact on my life. And you know, it takes us back to the the brain states idea, the 25-hour brain. You've got to get that base level right, the recharge uh, zones. And sleep, diet, exercise are fundamental to that. And I'd say of the three, you know, sleep is the most important because if you don't sleep well, you're less inclined to exercise properly. You're more inclined to eat junk food and then you'll be less likely to sleep well the night after because you'll be staying up late again and you just start to build a bad habit. 
So for me, sleep is the most important. It is the foundation. Um, I just want to thank Gary who posted a comment just about um, just saying I fully agree that activity can reduce appetite and make sense for you to remind us that is how we are made, especially when the activity yeah, is a bit hard. And this is the thing. People, we don't do things that are difficult, so that's why we resist doing them. If we want to save energy. So the key is, is to make these things easier. So you don't have to do 60 miles a week to start with. Just start with, well, you don't ever have to do 60 miles a week if you don't want to. But just start with an extra five minutes. Start with a, start with one push-up. Start with one extra proportion of fruit and veg. Start with, um, five minutes more sleep tonight than last night. That's the type of thing we need to work towards. Yeah, and um, well, what we've what we've done on this session, I think, John, is take people through it in a really useful way, diet, exercise and sleep. Um, and of course, they can read much more in the Habit Mechanic, but that, that's been great. Now, we promised we would talk about how we can start to um, make positive, helpful changes in all these areas, and we're, we're going to do that now. Um, uh, of course, no replacement for the book. But in the at the start of the chapter, you talk about a world champion tennis player, specifically Novak Djokovic, who um, the example you cite doesn't specifically relate to improving diet, exercise and sleep. Although, as I understand it, uh, Novak Djokovic pays great attention um, to certainly diet uh, and, no, and no doubt sleep too, being a, a world class athlete. But um, you talked about a DES swap um, and um, Novak Djokovic unknowingly uh, has used part of that process. It's self-watching. Please, please tell the story and explain more. Yeah, a friend of mine, a guy called Simon Briggs, is the tennis correspondent for the Daily Telegraph, a, a British broadsheet newspaper. So he, from time to time gets to interview these world champion athletes. And he was just telling me that... Um, Djokovic was explaining how he um, monitored himself, how he monitored what he was doing and what he was thinking and his energy levels. And Simon Briggs put it to him. So it's like you've got this almost like this CCTV camera on your shoulder watching what you're doing. He's like, yeah, that's it. That's what I'm doing. I'm watching myself in that way. And and you, you you use the metaphor of a CCTV camera in, in the habit mechanic and in, and in your work prior to that as well. Yeah, so that's why it was interesting that Simon had been speaking to him and he was talking in that way. And that's how we described it for a long time. So, um, so it's just a good example of someone that is, I think now he's, he's the greatest tennis player of all time. Um, he's using these processes and these techniques. So to package that into, well, how do we use that insight to help us to build better sleep, diet, and exercise habits? Well, the first thing we need to do is do intelligent self-watching. And I'm not going to go too deep into it in this podcast, but we have a tool called the Diet, Exercise, and Sleep Swap Plan. A swap stands for self-watch, make an aim, and make a plan. So this is an intelligent self-watching and planning tool that allows us to monitor our sleep, our diet, our exercise, and plan to make improvements. So 
we unpack this in chapter 19 of the Haber Mechanic book and show you how to create your own desk swaps on a daily basis. There's also a digital version of that tool in the Haber Mechanic app, a university app, which is really powerful. And once you've created a desk swap, you can then package it into a habit building plan. So literally within five minutes, you can create a habit building plan. In other words, deliberately activate behavioral science that's going to make it easier for you to automate this new sleep, diet or exercise habit that you want to practice. And we talk about, we actually introduced the habit building plan in chapter 20 of the habit mechanic. We give an example of a sleep, sleep habit building plan example in there. So for those people that want to take the insights we've shared today and actually put them into practice, I'd recommend just having a go at the at the um, the desk swap. And you can do that in the book. This is a daily tool, really, really powerful. It's unique. I haven't ever seen anything like it. Also, it's in the app. Um, but remember, creating the desk swap is one thing to really supercharge your chances of success in changing your behavior. You need to create a habit building plan as well. And you can do that in uh, chapter 20 of the book and also in the app. Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's all there for people, as you say, John. Um, j just briefly, um, if we, yeah, the desk swap, as you, if you've spoken about, um, and, and if we can just spend a few more moments just on self-watching, um, essentially, as, as many people will know now, having um, perhaps read The Habit Mechanic and, and followed these podcasts, self-watching, um, you, you ask people often to, to rate themselves on a scale um, from, from poor to perfect or, or one to ten. That's the essence of the process, isn't it? Yeah, so it's moving ourselves away from dichotomizing our behavior as either great or rubbish. So we have this thing called the P2 scale, the poor to perfect scale, where we can label our behavior in a more intelligent way. Um, very similar to what we do with the T plan, where we rate ourselves out of 10. Similar to how, we've, how we think about ourselves in the habit metric tools. So yeah, that's the starting point, and that's just helps us to be more intelligent in how we think about our sleep and our diet and our exercise. Yeah, and it's the start point, as you say, for for building uh, those those helpful habits um, in in the area of our diet, our exercise, and our sleep. Uh, well, John, we're, we're coming to a close. Um, of this session uh it's been so fascinating um i know i know you've worked with tens of thousands of people um and i think it's fair to say consistently diet exercise and sleep have been so important in in your work with all of them um you must have seen a lot of a lot of positive results a lot of a lot of positive benefits from so many people in in your time yeah massive and there's been a couple of noticeable ones just this year where I've seen people, um, there's a, a guy who's trained to become a certified habit mechanic coach and um, he signed up to the program about this time last year, actually, probably 
uh, yeah, slightly slightly later, but towards the end of last year, knowing that he wasn't going to start the program until um, the summer. So I hadn't seen him since you know, from December to the first time I then saw him again was in I think June, and literally when he came on the camera. I didn't recognise him. I was thinking, I was literally thinking, is this the same guy that I was speaking to previously? And literally, as if he was reading my mind, he said, you might not recognise me, John, because I've lost, I can't remember how much he lost, but he lost a lot of weight. And I said, how have you done that? He said, I've just been using the death swap. So that should, that speaks to how powerful these tools are, just of his own accord, he'd just been using the death swap. So he'd been coaching himself, being a habit mechanic. Then another actually, someone who's um, certified habit mechanic coach. He he's talked about he's lost a lot of weight and improved his sleep and his his diet um, and, and exercise habits again by using the desk swap tool. So yeah, I've seen it over a long period of time. You know, we have young people in school using these tools on a daily basis. So the tools are there. It's just about putting them into practice and you get the results. Yeah, well, fantastic and a fantastic uh, opportunity for, for people to improve something which is is so uh, important to them. Well, John, um, thanks for your time once again. Absolutely fascinating and illuminating and beneficial for us all uh, to talk through Chapter 19 of the habit mechanic um really enjoyed it and uh yeah i'm gonna revisit the chapter myself i think and uh just go through some of those amazing insights um anything you want to say to bring us to a close just thank you to everyone for listening and remember you're only ever one habit away thank you to everyone for joining us and bye for now Thanks for listening. Remember, if you want to get your business off to a great start in January, get in touch to discuss how our Habit Mechanic keynotes or workshops can equip your people with practical skills that help them build super habits in five minutes. Or if you want to earn 100000 a year working part-time by launching your own coaching business, we guarantee to help you do that in just 13 hours. Get in touch with us today to learn more about becoming a certified habit mechanic coach who can transform people's lives and is recognised as a world leader in the field. For more details, contact us via the website. The link is in the podcast notes. Or if you want to feel better and do better every day, download the Habit Mechanic University app from your app store. Thanks again for listening.